Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the Danny Mac Show with BK, getting you inside the cards and St. Louis sports on 101 ESPN. Yeah, there's not a lot of optimism. There's uh, there's a lot of people who think a lockout is eventually going to happen. I can't imagine there's not going to be baseball next season. I think that is an idea that's I, – I, I just can't see it happening. Um, but a lockout, at least temporarily, I can see happening. And a de- like, Eventually, a deal is going to happen, but it may not happen right away. And obviously, there's going to be public panic. But um, at the end of the day, there should be baseball next season and – yeah, at the end of the day, there will be baseball. It's just a matter of how we get there. And that was Robert Murray on the CBA from the 13th of October. So just over a couple of weeks ago, Danny Mac show on 101 ESPN. And this is a uh, Tuesday, if memory serves correct. It's a Tuesday, right? That's correct. Okay, I yeah. Think you're right on that. Because we were texting back and forth about Monday Night Football. So if it's Monday Night Football, that would mean it was played on Monday night. Checks meaning out. that this would be Tuesday. Got it. Okay. <laughs> A lot of times things run together, BK, for me. That's uh, Brandon Kiley. I'm Danny Mack, Dan McLaughlin. And uh, great to have you with us on this Tuesday. Um, we're going to talk about the CBA. And uh, we're going to get to Ronald Blum, who is a, a guy that has covered really the business side of the sport for many, many years. And uh, a lot of the articles that you read, whether it may be going on ESPN.com or some of the major websites that you follow are from the AP and from Ronald. He's got great insight into this stuff and can maybe help break this down. Evan Drellick had uh, a nice piece in The Athletic yesterday going through the differences between what a a lockout is and a strike and what you're looking to gain if you're the Players Association and if you're ship and how this all works and uh, unfortunately as we said yesterday BK you're going to get to the final out whether it's tonight or tomorrow in Houston and then 100% of the focus of baseball goes to the business side because you got to have that in place then to have uh, Corey Seager signed and this great free agent class of shortstops and what the Cardinals may do and all the different things that go along with it and as I brought up to you, and it was interesting, it was in the article yesterday that was released after our show, I believe. I said, mm-hmm. hey, if you're a team, do you go out and sign players before December 1st, or do you wait until everything's in place afterwards? So there's a lot of things to get into. I thought it was a really fascinating article today in the Post-Dispatch by uh, by Ben Fredrickson, who does a, a great job talking about the legacy of the commissioner, too. What's at stake for him? I mean, there's a lot of tentacles to what's going on, but um, it's going to be... I would imagine at times uh, bumpy, probably ugly, some things that get out that you don't want to hear about if you're a fan. But at the end of the day, to what Robert Murray was saying, we will have baseball. It's just when we get there, who knows? They need to get this done by December 1st. I'm I'm officially on board with that. After reading Evan's piece yesterday, here's the quote that really got to me, Dan. Uh, He said, if Major League Baseball and the MLBPA have not agreed on a new CBA by midnight entering December 2nd, it is very likely that the sports owners will lock out the players. And if that happens, all of the typical offseason transactions from free agency to the arbitration process to rule five drafts 
would be frozen until a new deal is reached. The sport's annual mid-December winter meetings likely would be canceled, at least the portion of the meetings involving the major leagues. End quote again, that coming from The Athletic. If that is the case, if that's the plan, and it makes sense for that to be the plan, that if there is a lockout, that all player transactions would also be frozen at that point in time, you can't have it happen. You can't. Baseball needs this momentum going into the offseason. You're coming off of a 60-game season in which we saw the ratings from around the league. They were down significantly. People just weren't invested for a million different reasons in last year, the 2020 season. This year, you rebounded. The ratings here locally were pretty darn good relative to what they were previously. Number one. Very I, I got I to say that because I, I know some people invested in there. So uh, n- number one in baseball. Yeah. People are back on board and they want to see what the Cardinals can do here locally and what their team can do locally, regardless of where you are. For Major League Baseball to then look at that and you'd be like, you know what? Mm, we needed another one percent of this pie in terms of the revenue sharing. It just can't happen. And that's where I go back to what you said about Benfred and this being a legacy deal for Rob Manfred. Well, his legacy ain't looking great right now. The one thing you could maybe get on the positive side of the ledger is getting this deal done. Your job is to make sure that there is baseball next year. Your job is, yes, to work for the owners, but also you're supposed to be a conduit for the fans. You're supposed to be a shepherd of the game. And if you mess this up going into this offseason, I don't know how you come back from that in the minds of any fans across Major League Baseball. So a few things that you said there that that kind of struck a chord. You've probably heard me say this uh, before, BK, and I'll just use locally as a great example. You know, by the end of the season, uh, the team started playing better and... I think people felt more comfortable coming to a social gathering, whether it be a concert or, in this case, a ball game. And we had great crowds. 17-game winning streaks will do that for you, and that helps. Um, I think going into this offseason, if you said, let's say, on Friday that, oh, by the way, World Series just ended and we have a new CBA, that allows teams then in the holiday season to go out and say, oh, don't forget about the BK pack. Don't forget about the Tanner pack. Don't forget about your season tickets. Remember, season ticket holders could opt out last year. Well, come on back. We want to we have you back. And there's a massive group of season ticket holders with the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, you lose that momentum. And you would lose the momentum of signing. I'm just going to say this. Uh, I have no idea if they would do this, sure. but... Well, I'll just say this. Player X, that's really popular. Whether it's Corey Seager or whomever you want to throw somebody out there. get the fans excited. Exactly. Trevor Story, Corey Pete. Seager, Kyle Schwarber, Schwarber somebody. J.D. Martinez, whoever the guy is. But you're going to make some moves, and you know this team's going to make some moves. And the way that they finished up this season, barring what happened with Mike Schilt, there's some excitement around the team. And then all of a sudden, you, you've got, uh, in Cardinal world and baseball world, you've got the, the Cardinals cruise, which gets people fired up. You got the Cardinal caravan. You got the winter warm-up. And you're, it's really like the unofficial kickoff to the season. And then at that point, you're around February 12th, and guys are reporting to Jupiter. That's not that far away. It really you isn't. No, at all. So that window in which you have to create excitement and to sell tickets and to and I'll tell you another part of the business that's very big is group sales. So you have on a Sunday you might have uh 3 to 5000 people part of some group that comes down to enjoy a ball game. You got to be able to get out and start selling those things. 
And part of that is having the excitement of those around that team and in uniform to sell, to market, to be excited about as a fan base. And if all you're talking about, again, and you're playing catch-up because you don't get going until February, you're going to lose some people. Some people are going to say, you know what, man, I just I found ways to spend discretionary income during COVID and uh, and some of that money that was discretionary prior to COVID was going to the ballpark. For instance, um, I may have some of the numbers wrong here, but I think you're going to get the idea. So if you took a 60 mile radius around St. Louis, just draw a circle and on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I don't care what team it is. It's roughly, I think it's like 65, 70% of the tickets sold are coming in from people that are saying, this is our family vacation to come in. And if they don't know that that's there and they're starting to plan this stuff in December and January and February, because little Johnny and Susie are off school and this is what we do. Uh, but we don't know if there's going to be a season or do we want to support this because we're upset. Yeah. That's a problem. So that's the other side of this that I think that has to be taken into account. It's not only all the money that you're trying to get. Oh, do we do we allow free agency a year earlier? Do we award a DH? What do we do with arbitration years? Which is, and I understand where they're coming from. I mean, a, a team drafts BK, and they've invested a lot of money in him. They want to get the most out of that investment. I get it, but greater picture here to what we have next season. And moving forward is the excitement of making sure you have all stadiums at 100%, normal sales in the offseason, normal chance to market and get this thing back on track totally as opposed to what we saw a year ago. Yeah, for most sports. Does that sports, make sense? Absolutely. For most sports, what you should be trying to do right now is making it as easy as possible for fans to consume your product because people have more options than ever. So, like, for example, in radio, we need to be wherever you are, whether that means with your Alexa speaker or if that means um, on your tablet or on your phone via an app or if that means on your computer. However you listen to the radio, we need to be there. And even if that means podcasting side of things, where wherever you are and whatever you want to be listening, that's how you need to be, we need to be there for you. It's the same thing for sports. Like if I am the Cardinals, for example, or Major League Baseball, it's expanded to them. And I feel like, yeah, you know, it's been a rough couple of years for us. And now what we're going to do is instead of having a normal offseason, the normal uh, ebbs and flows of, okay, you've got transactions, you've got the trades, you've got the signings, you've got the Rule 5 draft, you've got the caravans, all of those sorts of things. You've got the pitchers and catchers reporting on a specific date. That gets people into the groove of the season. There is something to that. And it's been lost in recent years, not just because of the COVID season and because of the labor negotiations, but also because baseball has changed. And now you're seeing a lot of these signings and the trades happening in January and even into February. And that, I think, is in and of itself a problem for baseball. Now you potentially eliminate anything from happening in December. And I think you just continue to rub your customer the wrong way. And between the the changes that some people don't like seeing in the game um, and then going into the offseason once again doing this, I I think you risk turning off a maybe it's not a huge portion, but a portion of your audience based on some of the decisions you've made in recent years. Yeah, you hit something that that struck a chord with me, the risk. And so let's say because ultimately in negotiations, when people start losing money or paychecks is when the negotiations ramp up, right? I mean, you start thinking, okay, we got to get this thing going because I just missed out on my first check. 
I just missed out on having X amount of fans at the ballpark that could have bought beer, soda, hot dogs, jerseys, a ticket to the game, whatever. Um, So let's just play it out like this. If you had, so December 1st comes and all of a sudden you have a quote unquote work stoppage, but then you fire it back up by the end of January and you have a two week, just crazy period in baseball with all these free agents getting signed, which actually could kind of be fun. That, that two week window would be exciting for a lot of fan bases. My, my concern to the point of risk is the two month period where I heard all these bad things going back and forth and being put out in the media, which will ultimately happen. I would guess. It's Not inevitable. always, but it's. It, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I can't be 100 percent sure, but pretty it's confident. pretty pretty confident that there, there's going to be some nasty things that get out there. That's going to turn off some people and say, you know what, man, I'm just done. I, I've had enough. And that's what I think you're saying is that you don't want that. Let's avoid that and let's just get it back on track. Get a five year agreement, whatever it is, ten year, eight year. I don't care. Or maybe even, are you better off just saying we hit this mark? Uh, we're going to extend this thing by a year. I'd be fine with it. Honestly, I, I, at this point, I would too. buy yourself some more time. Yeah. I mean, instead of putting a gun to everybody and saying, okay, let's go. We're going to make this decision, which deadlines do. Deadlines do it. So are the you going to push it back? the deadline? To your point earlier, the deadline for them, for the owners, it's probably February. And that's not the deadline for fans. Fans want to see this thing done right. in December. So there's the marketing side of this, the PR side of it. And then there's the actual nuts and bolts and the money that's going to be awarded and lost or however you want to view who wins and who loses and hopefully it's 50 50 which is what you want yep. but if you push it if, if you push it back a year then you're back in the same boat and say well you know do we do it again in december and then because ultimately i think when you're having this and anybody that's involved in negotiations and know this you have to have a deadline of some sort to where you you say this is it you know it's why you have a trade deadline and it says you know four o'clock eastern and you're watching the clock of the seconds tick to try to get it into the commissioner's office the paperwork the deal everything the medicals because you're pushed to the end i i I just i worry about what you said which is that two-month period of consternation worry people getting upset uh, hearing negative things, you just don't want that. You'd rather just get it done and move on. This reminds me of last year where I remember talking about the the return to play plan, right? Where it was baseball had decided, you know what? It might actually be better for us not to play this year. There were certain owners who, who felt that way in the 2020 season. And it was like, wait a second. We've been talking all about these deadlines because there were, there were specific dates that they had set where it was like, hey, we've got to get a deal done by X, Y, or Z. I was like, well, what is the deadline? That's what I kept asking people. Like, what? when do we know that this is going to or not going to happen? Because that's when I'll start talking about this again. Because it got, it got so annoying to continuously say, okay, yeah, they could return in May. It could be in June. You know, there could be this summer camp. And eventually it was like, well, the deadline is they want to play 60 games. Okay, then let's backtrack this thing. When yeah. do they need to stop it? When does the season need to be over? And what does that mean for the starting point? And that's really what ended up mattering is they wanted 60. The owners did. So that's what we played in 2020. Now going into this offseason, we once again need to find out when is the owner's deadline? What do they want to be done with this by? What's the date? And if that date is December 1st, we'll probably get a deal done. If that date is what I fear it to be something closer to like February 15th, 
that's when something could go drastically wrong this offseason. And that's what I'm fearful of, because I think they're probably looking at it as the latter. All right. I know there's some fans out there that are going, okay, what could be involved in this, which we will get into with Ron Blum, but would you want to see 154-game schedule? Do you want to see the DH in the National League? Do you want to see free agency or in terms of when a player can hit free agency shorter? Or does it even matter? You just want baseball. I'd be able to say, just give me baseball. Let's get into that on the other side. We'll yep. talk about how it impacts the Cardinals as well. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. I've mentioned to you that I emcee um, a lot of the season ticket holder functions at the ballpark. And so John Mosellock or Bill DeWitt third or Mike Schild at that time would come in and really it's open for them to ask anything they want. And it's a private event and <clears throat> anything's kind of on the table. And I'm telling you the most commonly asked question over the last five years is the DH coming to the National League. By all these people, and if you're a season ticket holder, you're you're invested, man. I mean, you love Cardinal baseball, you love baseball in general. You come down to the ballpark, and um, it was funny, you know, Mo or somebody would say, "Well, uh, you know, the DH currently not in the National League, but it would seem like you better get used to mm-hmm. it." And people boo, you know, they start booing them. I don't know if I feel the same way anymore, and I know the numbers of what pitchers do. Um, at the plate, and it's pretty ugly. I mean, they hit like 150 or if that. I mean, it's nasty. Uh, unless you're Zach Rinke or Adam Wainwright at times or guys that could swing the bat a little bit, Madison Bumgarner. But those are few and far between. And so now you have the DH, it looks like, universally coming into the game. I I just get the feeling that younger fans want it and that the older fans, those that have watched National League-style baseball their entire lives, are like, no, I, I don't. I want to see... Tanner's rolling his eyes. Tanner, you're 21. I don't. I don't want the DH. <laughs> okay, you don't want to. Well, that's there. He, he's 21, Tan- going on 70. I was about to say okay. we, we can't include Tanner in now, that demographic. If they have the double switch DH where the starter comes out, that I can get behind. But just the normal DH. I actually well. find that one to be really interesting, Dan. I don't know that they'll do it. It seems like that's a lot of negotiating for baseball right now. But and they, they would... want the starter. They want to put a premium back on starters, and the players association would want that because, as I mentioned the other day, the money that could be associated with signing a starter. It's dropped significantly. So those guys were getting paid big, big bucks. And there are more starters than there are designated hitters. You're talking about 15 jobs designated hitter-wise. And realistically speaking, some of those teams are going to go with the rotation of, hey, our position player get a day off. So you're really talking about probably 10 or 12 guys. And on any given year, probably five of them could be on rookie deals. So it's really like five to seven contracts that are changing based on the DH coming to the national league. I know some people will say uh, whenever we're getting through these negotiations, Hey, but look at the jobs that it adds. Yeah. Look at the jobs that it adds. It's not a whole lot. That's actually changing by adding that. Meanwhile, when you do this double switch thing that we're talking about, and where they, let's explain that for absolutely. people that don't know. So you, uh, you have the DH, but then if you lift your starter, you lose the DH essentially is what happens. Mm-hmm. So, then it puts a premium on do I, you know, say your DH is coming up and do I want to take out my starter and lose that bat? Uh, don't necessarily want to do that. So I'm going to stick with them and not go to my bullpen. There's strategy with it. I like that. It does keep a little bit more of the strategy part of this. And from those I've talked to that have had this and, and dealt with it, they like it. 
They think it works. It's the best of both worlds in a lot of ways. It because is. it does put a premium on your starter. It gives you something else yep. to think about when you're taking your starter out of the game, potentially. It does also change a little bit in terms of how you would build your roster, right? It does keep some of the National League style of rules in, which puts a premium on your bench. Like, I think specifically for the Cardinals next year, Dan, and I, I feel like this is one of the reasons why I don't think they can go, even if they were allowed to, I don't think they could really go into the free agent market before they find out what the rules are, because if it's this, the the double switch DH versus the actual DH, well, if there's an actual DH, a guy like Kyle Schwarber could make some real sense here in St. Louis. If there's not, if it's the double switch version, I don't think you can sign him. I don't think you can sign J.D. Martinez. Um, those guys that are the true, just you're signing them exclusively for your bats, they become a little less valuable. A little bit. I, I still would look at it, but I understand your point for sure. Um I think the shortstops would have more marginal value in that situation than the designated hitter because you just know they're going to be in the entire game. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the part that gets interesting. I mean, somebody on the text line said, well, if you had the DH, the, uh, the, uh, the idea of mixing and matching and basically just roll out your nine is is all you're going to do as a manager and not not for me i think if you have it to where you okay universal dh but you lose him if you take the starter out there there is some thinking in in, in going into that Think and how you want to do it in the wild card game right right suddenly it becomes the obvious decision in that spot to keep Wayno in the game yes like you, of course you do because you got your designated hitter what was he coming up like fourth in the next inning or whatever it was um so yeah you'd keep him in because you want to keep that dh in there for a potential big spot in the next inning that's right so yes that clearly puts a premium more on your starting pitcher now the cardinals went that route anyways but there were some people that argued against it so very quickly 154 to 162 and I would say, and I'm talking about how many games you would play in. There's been some talk that maybe you reduce the regular season because then you could add in more in the playoffs, which the idea would be not the one game winner take all like the Cardinals had with the Dodgers, but maybe you said, okay, the Dodgers are ahead of the Cardinals. They finish there and it's a three game series with all three games at Dodger Stadium. So puts a premium on making sure you go out and get home field advantage. So there's still that competitive uh, aspect of trying to have the best record, best team, and invest in your team, meaning spend money. Um, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I, you know, I've been thinking a lot about like, what if the game was? I don't like finishing up in November. I think you need to finish up by Halloween. Um, but does this push this back in November potentially? Eh, could. I mean, here we have Game uh, Six of the World Series, and thankfully you're in Houston. But what if you're in New York, Boston, Minnesota? Um, Minnesota is going to be really cold potentially, maybe snowing at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, do you really want to go this deep into? I think it was the snowing fall? in Kansas City last night. So, like, yes. yeah, it's it it gets cold. I woke up this with year. ice on my windshield this morning. Yeah, it, it gets a little chilly uh, in November. This just in. I I think that I don't really have an issue with the 154. I think I could go get there. If you wanted to add in, like from the players' perspective, that what they're going to say is we just don't want more rest throughout the season. And that's something that they've been trying to do over the last few years. That's one reason why the schedule is as long as it is this year, for example, uh, in terms of the calendar. I, I think one thing that I would be here for is more double, double headers. I would like to see more double headers on the weekend. And it sounds like, though, they're going to go back to the nine inning double headers. Um, would you want to go to like a Sunday across baseball? Uh, you get Mondays off, and it's a seven-inning, you know, doubleheader. Two doubleheaders of seven innings. Yes. Yeah. So Sunday doubleheader, seven innings, and then Monday you get the day off. 
that that makes all the sense in the world to me. And it's just fun. Like it's just more fun throughout the major league baseball. Mixes season. it up. Yeah. Yeah. Tanner, are you in on that or you no, hate it? No. If it's seven inning doubleheaders, I'm out. I, I loved the seven inning doubleheaders. It's the I one thing that it. came out of pandemic baseball that I was like, this is great. Yeah. I, I look back on it and I, I thought that was a good decision for baseball. And of course, that's the one that they're probably going to get rid of. And the runner at second. Uh, I, I think, think that's that, going to go away. I think so, too. I think a lot of the stuff that we saw during the pandemic mm-hmm. is is out. All right. We're going to get into it with uh, Ronald Blum and uh, looking forward to that. Talking more about what potentially lies ahead for Major League Baseball. Can't get enough cards talk? You've come to the right place. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. Ronald Blum has been uh, writing for the Associated Press for many, many years about Major League Baseball and so many of the issues associated with it, and certainly a big issue coming up after the final out of the World Series, whether that be tonight or tomorrow, would be the pending CBA, and no better authority in the media to talk about this than Ronald Blum, and uh, Ronald, thanks for, for coming on. I've been reading your stuff for a long, long time on various websites, and you are well-connected with this, so thanks for uh, lending your expertise on this. We appreciate it. Oh, good morning. Good morning to you. Um, how would you think that this unfolds after the final out of the World Series and then December 1st looms as we could have a work stoppage? What do you think happens? Uh, I think we will have a work stoppage. Uh, next up, the general managers meet uh, next week in uh, Carlsbad, California. So some small stuff might happen, some resigns and maybe some of the smaller deals. Then there's an owner's meeting in Chicago in mid-November. And from all indications, nothing really is happening in bargaining. And everyone is set for a lockout to begin on December 2nd, the day after the deal expires. Ron, what's the deadline look like for this? Because I know that's kind of where we can start and then work our way back. But from the ownership side of things, do they view December 1st as any sort of deadline or do they view more like February 1st as a deadline? Well, the contract expires at the end of December 1st. So at that point, we expect uh, most of the marketplace to come to a halt. And owners would rather force the issue in spring training when there's less revenue at stake. So the expectation is it'll unfold somewhat similar to 1990, where spring training did not start in mid-February. And in that case, there was an agreement in mid-March. Spring training started late. The season began about a week late, but they got in all 162. No one knows what will happen this time. But given the lack of any progress in bargaining on central issues, and the expectation is there won't be any movement until March at the earliest. In terms of those central issues, without getting too far into the weeds on a lot of different things that are probably on the table, if you're a fan out there listening to you right now, what are those central issues, the main issues that they have to get through? Well, uh, player salaries have gone down the last few years, which... uh, Players obviously are not happy about uh, the the impact of the luxury tax surtaxes that went in in 2016 agreement. And players are also not pleased with how veterans have been jettisoned in favor of uh, young players making close to the minimum. 
the union doesn't like management's idea of a payroll floor, which would uh, somewhat address uh, the issue of tanking that the union sees. So in the end, like most negotiations, it comes down to money. Ronald, when you look at where this is going from here, how ugly do you expect it to get? Like, are we going to see similar public negotiations to the way that we saw going into the 2020 shortened season? At some point, I suspect uh, as spring training doesn't start and uh, players and owners start to get antsy, they'll be more out in public. Uh, but so far, there's there's been some, but not very much. Generally, what happens if we look at baseball's past, is it becomes public when there's no action on the field. And uh, do you think that they feel better about extending this into spring training and then starting the season later? Because there are some that believe it should be a 154 schedule anyway, not 162, and that gives them a little leeway with this? No, the, the total impetus is that uh, the percentage of revenue in spring training is very small players don't get paid their salaries till the regular season starts and there's so much national broadcast money at stake from the postseason so what we've seen in the past is players wait till august september to force an issue with a strike threat jeopardizing that postseason money so not just in baseball but in all u.s pro sports since the 94-95 baseball strike management has forced the issue with lockouts earlier in the year rather than later. Who are the biggest players on the ownership side? I mean, I, I know Bill DeWitt is is obviously got a major voice in Major League Baseball, but uh, who are some of the other owners that would be very, very prominent in some of these negotiations? Uh, they, let's see, the, certainly John Henry in Boston, uh, Yankees president Randy Levine is uh, close with Rob Manfred on labor issues. But uh, so far, it seems to be not even to the point where individuals matter. There's been so little going on in bargaining that it's been basically each side bargaining. The union side somewhat interesting in that what's happened with players' salaries and veterans making so much more than the young players. Most of the executive committee, with the exception of Jason Castro, are multimillionaires. And for the eight players on uh, the union's negotiating executive subcommittee are represented by Scott Boris. So I would think he on that side has a significant influence. We're talking to Ronald Blum of the Associated Press here on 101 ESPN. You can follow him on Twitter at Ronald Blum, B-L-U-M. Uh, Ronald, do you think Major League Baseball views this as a situation where all, all of these negotiations are so important that it, it doesn't even matter if this leaves a bad taste in the fans' mouth? Because, I'm, I mean, I can tell you from our text line and from the listeners that we hear from every day, uh, there's not a whole lot of appetite for baseball to go through this offseason with a lockout and then potentially start the spring training sites a little bit late. Like, uh, fans aren't thrilled about that idea. Does baseball care? Yes and no. They care about the image. They care about the customers, obviously. But the way collective bargaining works is that outside factors really don't impact negotiations. It's the leverage each side has on the other. And the process is designed to eventually reach a deal. But the key word in that is eventually. And 
often there is acrimony before an agreement. As we've seen, baseball had eight work stoppages from the early 70s through that seven-and-a-half-month strike that cost them the 94 World Series. But, yeah, they do care. They know there's an impact, but they don't let that get in the way of their bargaining objectives. What would this mean for the offseason? As you can probably imagine, most of the talk here in St. Louis is about what the Cardinals will do free agency-wise, trade-wise. Is that all going to be frozen the moment that the lockout begins? We anticipate so. It's unclear whether there will be a formal signing freeze, but because most of the big teams won't know where they stand versus the luxury tax, the ones that have the higher payrolls, we don't expect any deals to happen, even if there wasn't a signing freeze. So I think everyone is prepared for whenever there is an agreement, be that in March or April or whenever, to be a mad 10-day, two-week scramble for all the big free agents. Do you think, uh, and this kind of follows up on, on Brandon's question to you about I guess the the image perception of of baseball that it, it you know you could lose your casual fan. There might be some hardcore fans that say, "Man, this is this is upsetting." Even though compared to the other sports, they haven't had a shutdown since '94. But you look at how 2020 was really ugly just to get back on the field. Do you think any of them say, "Look, let's get to the table because we can't have this PR nightmare like we had in 2020." Oh, they say that, but then they don't do anything about that. There's a disconnect between what they say and feel about their image. They do care about their image, but they don't let it get in the way of the bargaining process. And the bargaining process, in a way, it's like a factory. There's lawyers and negotiators and processes. And the outside, at least until well into a work stoppage, doesn't create enough pressure to alter the process. What do you think are the top things on the negotiating table? Like if you if you set the the top priorities for ownership groups right now, what would those be? Keeping the luxury tax uh, threshold as low as possible with a rate as high as possible. The owners would love to do something about salary arbitration, but that's, that's obviously preserving and extending arbitration is the player's uh, goal. So in the end, it's all money issues and where they trade back and forth. I think the owners are well, a little concerned about teams that pocket their revenue-sharing money and go into lengthy rebuilding because that makes them less competitive. And we see the disparity on the field and all those teams that lost 90-plus games, 100-game losers – and teams that win 100-plus games and don't even win the division, so they're very good and very bad. So that is a goal, but that's not a unified goal because the clubs are all over the place on that with the large markets feeling one way and the smaller markets the other way. So they have to re- they reach their consensus, come up with the bargaining positions that Manfred and Halem put across the table. But in the end, it's money issues. And if you look, player salaries have gone down, as many of us predicted when they signed the agreement last time. And uh, Tony Clark and the union leadership uh, is uh, trying to deal with that. And then we also have on the player side a rookie negotiator in Bruce Meyer, who's 
a veteran labor lawyer, but he's never been in this uh, position as negotiator before. You see any scenario that they just come up with an extension and say, you know what, we'll we'll extend this, keep negotiating for a year, or do you just say, nope, we're going to make a deadline and we're going to nail this thing down? Uh, there's always a chance that something like that happens, but uh, everything at this point, 99.9% looks like the agreement will expire December 1st, and it'll be followed by a lockout. And then uh, final question for me, in terms of what could happen with what we see as fans uh, that comes out of this agreement, meaning what you see with a designated hitter universally, uh, maybe reduced schedule, whatever, uh, how you do double headers, uh, any of this kind of stuff, runners starting at second, what do you think happens in the competition of, uh, of the game out of the CBA? Well, Manfred's already say the runner on second was just for the pandemic and extra innings, and that's gone after this. The DH is one of those uh, economic trade-offs that whenever they get into negotiating mode, that'll be one of the last things decided because it comes down to if you add designated hitters in the National League, that's usually a veteran player at a high salary, so that's traded for something else. So. The feeling is the DH in the National League is likely to happen, but that will be one of the final pieces of the puzzle. As a little bit of a follow-up on that, and this will be my final question, Ronald, uh, when you look at the designated hitter in the National League, there's been some speculation that maybe t- maybe Major League Baseball would consider the double-switch rule where you get your designated hitter as long as your starting pitcher is in the game. Do you think that has in any any real pull? Is there any traction for that, or is that just something we're talking about on the outside? I think that's on the outside because keeping starting pitchers, sometimes it's an injury issue, and once it gets to those competitive things, that uh, becomes a hard, harder thing to get consensus for because you need the clubs. Ownership to feel one way, you have to have the general manager's and the baseball operations people feel that way, then you have to have consensus among the players. And right now, I think if you look at on-field issues, the number one concern is getting a pitch clock in as soon as 2022, because I think there's alarm on uh, the club side over the length of games and whether that's turning off the audience. Absolutely. Hey, Ronald, thank you so much. Enjoy your work. And uh, I'm sure we're going to be uh, reading a bunch of what you have to offer with the uh, GM meetings and owners meetings and the pending CBA in the next couple of months. Thanks so much for hopping on. Oh, good to be with you. Thanks. Bye. You got it. Thank you. Can I give a, a quick follow-up on the designated hitter thought that I gave in the last segment, Dan? Yeah. Because I mentioned how we always say that this adds so much salary to the books, and there are so many players. Can. Maybe. Um, but what we're watching right now in baseball doesn't s- signal that. Like Miguel Cabrera, he's a designated hitter for now for the Tigers. He wasn't when he was signed, but he's making $30 million a year. Yeah, that's a very significant contract. Giancarlo Stanton, $25 million per year. Again, big contract. He was signed technically as an outfielder when he signed it, but a big contract nonetheless. So I'll give you those. J.D. Martinez, $20 million contract, signed as a designated hitter. That's a big one. That's three players. Nelson Cruz every year signs a one-year deal with people, and it's just he's a, he's a mercenary. He's going to come in for ten to fifteen million dollars. It's almost like some of the pitchers that we've seen now. They've carved out that market of one year, ten to fifteen million dollars. You know who other who the other designated hitters are that are signed? Nothing, absolutely nothing. You've got Eloy Jimenez, who's a DH slash outfielder, who signed for seven million dollars, and he signed that long-term contract whenever he got into the bigs. 
The other ones are Chris Davis, who's making $570,000 for the A's, and Albert Pujols, who just finished out his contract with the Angels. The the argument for the designated hitter coming to the National League and suddenly there's going to be all of these other players that are making 15 plus million dollars. It's just false. It's not true. The owners are selling that so that way they can get something in return from the players. Will there be a couple of guys that have a bigger market as a result of this? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Kyle Schwarber is one that immediately comes to mind. But he's going to have a market no matter what. It's probably going to be American League teams if the National League doesn't have the DH. And maybe he gets a couple million bucks extra because there's more teams that are bidding on him. But it's not like there's 20 players that are going to sign for a bunch of extra money because they add in this rule. It's just false. Well, you could look at the Cardinals, and I'm not saying that they would go in this this way, but, you know, Nolan Gorman could be your DH making the league minimum. Absolutely. And that's an example. Um, Juan Yepes, same thing. Not saying it's going to happen that way, but it's an example of what you're talking about. Um, this is interesting. From the 618 uh, actually, 314, but does it really matter? Okay, my baseball fandom is hanging on by a thread. A strike at all might uh, seal the deal for me to forget baseball. Owners and players are clueless. We don't need baseball. Win us back by relating uh, to the average fan, which is always the, the concern anytime you're a sport and you have labor negotiations. You have people that are trying to divvy up a billion-dollar pie. And in some cases, it's 10 to $12 billion. And the average fan is saying, I want to hear this. Well, they're the best in the world of what they do, and that's why they get paid handsomely what they do, and these owners have made a lot of money. Um, but the average fan doesn't want to hear that. I think if it went long and it went into the season, and depending on... You know, baseball's at kind of a critical stage. Um, depending on how it unfolds in the la- in in those two months, let's say between December and early February, or going into spring training, how ugly it gets, it's going to turn off some people. Can you get them back? Of course you can. McGuire Sosa did help get people back out of '94. However, this is a different era of baseball. This is a different deal. So I'm I'm asking you. I mean, do you think that you would lose the average fan? I don't know. I, it depends on how badly it, it, it turns out and how much you miss of a season. I, I, I just don't have an answer solidly on that question. I think it's going to turn off a certain segment of their fan base. Absolutely. I, I don't know how large that is, though. And that's the thing. If there are there have to be consequences for you to not have these actions that we're seeing baseball take. And so far, there have really been no consequences. They more or less punted on a season. They were the only sport that did that. Hockey figured out a way to play their season. The NFL just went through their season as if the pandemic wasn't even happening. Um, basketball, they, they figured it out. They went to the bubble to finish their season and then started anew like three weeks later to get in their full next season. All of these other sports did it. They found a way to come together between the players and the owners because they knew and for the, the most greater difficult good. of times. That's right. They knew for the greater good. This is what we need to do for everybody. And baseball didn't. They said, you know what? Nah, 60 games sounds good. That'll be plenty. I'm sure our fans will understand. They didn't, um, and they don't, and it's a problem. And now, a year after that, a year after you completed your 60-game season, you're potentially punting on another offseason. Ronald Blum just told us we could be, what you mentioned in the first segment, we could have a two-week period where it's a free agent frenzy right before the start of uh, spring training. Does that sound like the best thing for the game to you when we have an off season where it should be 
a month of speculation on where Corey Seager and Trevor Story and Carlos Correa are going to be playing next year, where Kyle Schwarber coming off of an awesome postseason run is going to be playing next year. Somebody's going to sign Eddie Rosario, a playoff hero for the Atlanta Braves, and that's going to be exciting for their fan base. Jock Peterson, and now we're just going to condense this into a week or two in February? But seems like a problem. For let me let me say this, though. But if you're... I think an owner, you're saying, I got to look at it long term. And if I'm going to lose millions of dollars because the arbitration situation doesn't go our way because I was more concerned about the two week free agency period or what's happening in the two months of marketing for my team, as much as I don't like it, I don't agree with it. I think you need to get it done by December 1st because of the points you mentioned. A lot of them are saying that it makes more sense. Let's just, we're going to get back on the field, but let's make sure we get back on the field with the terms that we are most comfortable with. Oh, I understand why they're doing this. It doesn't make me like it. Exactly. And they've had years to be able to negotiate this. They were supposed to be talking about this stuff last year, Dan. Last year, after the season ended a year ago, they said, you know what? We should probably get an early start on the CBA. And they've been negotiating for a year now. And apparently we have no progress. Zero. How does that happen? The NHL literally in their return to play plan just nailed out their next CBA. Like, you know what? Let's go ahead and extend this thing. Let's get this done now. The NHL did that. Of all leagues, the NHL. With the two guys at the head of it that would have been the last they picks. They each other. And Donald now, Fear and, and uh, Gary Bettman, and who now, lost an entire season. And now baseball is out here after a year of negotiating, and Ronald Blum just told us, yeah, they've basically made no progress. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Great. All right. Let's talk about something more positive tomorrow, maybe. You know, talk about game six. See what uh, see what happens. Uh, I'm leaning towards Atlanta because their their starters are the pitching lines up to where they have some rest. However, any team at home scares me, and I think if Houston wins tonight, they win the World Series. Yeah, I think I'm going to take Houston tonight. We get a game seven, and then. In a weird way, I I think I would take the Braves in Game Seven. I, I that is just an inkling. I well, don't I'll have a, a great lean on it. Regular season or not, it's hard to win three in a row. Very, very difficult to do that. Even against the worst teams, it's tough to sweep a three game series. 100%. It's just very. It's how baseball is. It's weird. that's how the baseball works. A wise man once told me that. That's man. how baseball works. Uh, all right, you've got. Um, your show coming up with Alex. What do you guys got coming up? Yeah, so coming up at 1 o'clock, we'll be joined by Jeremy Rutherford talking about the Blues. Find out what the lines look like today out in practice with him. Uh, we will get into, though, starting off, when does the offseason start? How does that impact free agency? Kind of continuing some of the conversations that we were just having, Dan. But also, how does the universal DH and whether or not it takes place in the National League next year, how does that impact the Cardinals' plans this offseason? We'll get into that coming up here in just a couple of minutes. All right, looking forward to it. and. Those two are coming up for three hours. I'll be back with you tomorrow at 10 on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.